The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth has slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Welcome, this is Lucas Price, and I'm here to learn with you about building elite sales teams. What does it mean to have a high empathy in a sales or leadership situation? And how can it help lead you to success? How do you pair a high empathy mindset with a high performance mindset? And is there tension between the two? These are some of the topics we're gonna be discussing today with our guest, Jackie Papazian. Jackie's workplace superpower is building and empowering teams of happy people generate more revenue faster. Over the past 10 years, she has sold and led teams selling complex software to some of the most notable brands in the world while earning accolades for both her performance as a seller and as a people leader. Among other sales and leadership positions, Jackie has held the title of VP of Sales and Sales Development at Aurea Software and Sales Leader at Trackstar. Jackie, thanks for being with us here today. Hi, Lucas. Excited to be here today. Thank you for inviting me onto your show. Besides those things that I talked about in your intro, what should our audience know about you and your background? How did you get into a career in sales? Yeah, my career started off early on as an entrepreneur and I went to uh, school. I got my bachelor's in business administration, went on to get my MBA and really have been in sales my whole life. It's, I think, just woven into the fabric of who I am. But about 10 years ago, pivoted to a career specifically in tech sales. And tell me about what you were doing that led you from sales into sales leadership. Like most sales leaders, I started out as an individual contributor and then was promoted multiple times based off of high performance. And I realized over time it was much more rewarding helping my team to grow and learn and thrive and watching them exceed their quotas rather than just doing that as an individual. So I think that really for me intrinsically, like where it shifted to, I want to build teams and coach and mentor other folks to do and experience what I had as an individual contributor. Yeah. That's so important for sales leadership because it's not the motivations that every high-performing seller has. And so I think a lot of times high-performing sellers think they want to be in sales leadership because of the prestige, but it's really hard to make that transition unless you want, really want to help other people succeed. Absolutely. I think empathy is at the heart of why I'm such a great sales leader specifically. And really, again, just feeling that it's more rewarding to watching others succeed versus just having that individual success. Maybe every time someone succeeds in sales and then becomes a sales leader, because they're very driven individuals. And usually I find that drive came from something in their background. Is there something in your background that you'd attribute to helping you develop the the drive and resilience to become successful in sales? It's everything in my background. I can pull from just my experience in school, whether it's being 
an ASB or some type of leader on campus definitely can pull from my experience in sports and leading teams and just having that will to win and being super competitive and driven. So I can pull from a lot of different experiences on why sales and sales leadership is such a great fit for my kind of persona. As a sales leader, what are your pillars for building high-performing organizations? I think about these pillars as I'm hiring and interviewing for sales folks as well. But some of the things that we focus on, when I focus on with my teams, and I, I recognize this first one sounds a little bit fluffy to some folks that might be listening, but for me, it all starts with mindset. Having an incredibly positive mindset and having the Mamba mentality. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. All the greats have a similar thing where they're absolutely focused on continuous improvement in this pursuit to become a better version of themselves every day and believing, truly believing in your ability and that you will reach the result that you desire. So the first thing I set as an expectation for my team is coming with a really positive growth mindset. Yeah, that's great. Are, are there other pillars that we should talk about today? What, what are the other pillars that you think are, are most important? Yeah, definitely. On the flip side to starting with the positive mindset, I think is having, especially in tech sales with the tools that we have and just the advancements over the last 10 years, coming from an extremely data-driven perspective and having some solid optimized playbooks in place. The success of certain reps, I study it, create playbooks around it. So it's a repeatable process for everyone else. And then the third one definitely is high empathy, emotional intelligence. It's something that I absolutely look for when I'm hiring and continue to promote in the way that I work with my team, in the way that they work with me but especially in the way that we work with our clients. So tell me a little bit more about that. Do you have examples of where you've seen high empathy make a big difference, either in a sales situation or a sales leadership situation? I have a ton of examples on how high empathy helped us win deals, but unfortunately I have somewhere lack of empathy led to a loss of a deal. I think there's a lot you can learn from, from the bad calls too. I do a lot of call coaching with my teams where we get on review calls, rewind it, watch it again, like really dig deep. And we're looking for body language. We're looking for tone. We're looking for not just the words that our prospects are saying to us during these interactions. We're looking at everything to try to really understand where they're coming from, what they're saying. And this all relates to empathy, really understanding the landscape, what they want, what they need, and how can we position our solution to serve them and ultimately get us a win. There's two specific, pretty large opportunities. I can think back to watching game tape post meeting where a prospect, she said something 10 times throughout the period of the call and our sales rep and leader that were on that call kept pushing back and challenging and not really accepting what the thing that she was saying she needed or wanted. And you can see the body language and tone towards the end of that call, watching it. I knew at that point the deal was done. We had lost it. We had lost it because she repeated herself 10 times throughout the call. And we were having a hard time accepting what she was saying. We did. Make sure I understand this. Was it something like they were bringing up 
an objection and your team was fighting the objection instead of digging in to really understand the objection? That's exactly it. Yeah, we weren't listening. We weren't listening. We were staying focused on the thing that we wanted versus hearing what they were clearly sharing that they needed. And that led to a loss of that deal. And it was a pretty large deal as well. That that makes sense. What about in, in leadership situations? I think that a lot of times when you're having difficult conversations, it can be like really difficult to get to the truth. And it feels like it can be, for me, sometimes it feels like it can be challenging to find what's the right line between empathy and accountability when there are different versions of the truth out there. How do you think about empathy in those types of situations and in, in navigating something like that? I, I love that question. I think before we go deep into the tactical or the process around that as leaders, and this might not be what most sales leaders want to hear, but for me, I'm going to take a step back and evaluate myself first. Have I earned my team's trust? Am I a trustworthy leader? Am I being transparent with them? Have I created this space where they feel safe to to fail, to try new things, to challenge maybe me if they have a different opinion or some data that conflicts with what I shared? And so I think intentionally creating a safe space for your team, for my team, it allows us to be vulnerable and then really learn and grow and win together. So that is really at the heart of everything. And if you haven't successfully created that environment, then it's really going to be hard to do anything tactical in the way of how are you giving feedback or how are they receiving feedback or how do you bridge the gap between high empathy and accountability? I think the most important thing is creating that space first where you're providing, you're empowering your folks to really thrive. So as our listeners are, are hearing you say that and thinking about their sales organizations, how would they know if they've created that, that safe space that um, allows people to, to fail and deal with failure and confront failure and not be scared of it or hide it? If you've earned the trust of your team, they are very, they're open about that. So I have a lot of my team members will openly tell me how much they trust me and appreciate that I believe in them and allow for this different schools of thought and things like that. So I think if you have that space as a leader, you'll know because they'll tell you. So if they're not sharing that they're feeling that way, that might be a red flag that, you know, they're not comfortable. They're not feeling safe speaking up and challenging maybe what leadership, what path leadership is taking them down. So I think that's one way to know is, are they telling you? If someone is listening to this and thinking on a scale of one to 10, I'm probably at a seven and I'd like to get to a nine or a 10. What should they do to build more trust? One of the things that I, I, remind myself to do often with my teams is model the behavior that I want from them. Sharing some of my own failures or being vulnerable in, hey, that's a great question and I might not know it. I don't know that, but let's figure it out together. Let's do some research. Let's do some digging. Let's figure it out together. So I think demonstrating that I could be vulnerable with them and admit my mistakes or failures and that I too am working on continuously improving as a leader just empowers them to do the same. There could be a type of leader, and I think ultimately these type of leaders don't do well, but I think there could be a type of leader who thinks the way I'll create a safe space is just by being nice to everyone. Being an effective leader means saying the thing that might be the kind thing to say because it's the truth, 
and it's like valuable for that person to hear the truth. But it doesn't sound like the nice thing. And the the safe space has to be balanced with like clarity and high aspirations. And so how do you do that? How do you make sure that deal with the voice inside you that says, oh, how do I say this in a really nice way so that they're going to like me and instead give them do the kind thing and, and tell them the truth? Yeah, that's a great distinction. So I wouldn't say I'm always necessarily nice, but I think giving clear direction up front so your team understands what the expectations are and making them objective. But when you're giving, when I'm giving call coaching, let's say, or feedback in real time, I think it's really important to start with the positive. So maybe the two, three things that they did really well. And then, hey, even the phrasing, it's here's an area of opportunity for you. Here's what you, here's what you said. This might be more powerful phrasing to try next time. So I'm cautious about the phrasing that I use when I am giving constructive criticism as areas of opportunity, ways that we can grow, something maybe more effective we can try next time versus that was bad or awful or it shouldn't have said that. So I think we can just say things in a positive through a positive lens even if it's something that they could be doing better. There are certain times where there are people on the team who haven't lived up to their commitments, don't want to live up to their commitment. And so they will, no matter how safe the space is, they want to change the story away from the commitments that they've made, from what the expectations are on the team. And so it's you can lead with vulnerability. You can have generally have a safe space on the team. But with this person, what they need is a level of accountability. And yeah. maybe they want to run away from that accountability initially. I think there are situations where just having, creating that safe space isn't the complete solution. How do you deal with those situations or think about them differently? I think you're right about that. This is creating that safe space, leading with empathy, having an environment where there's lots of coaching, but folks are open to it. That's not 100% of the time going to work for everyone. And the reality is there might be some folk on my team or on someone else's team that culturally it's not the right fit. Or regardless of how much I work to empower them, if that's not within them, I can't do it for them. And I often tell my team things like, I can't want this more than you want it. We can want it equally or you need to want it more, but I can't want you to exceed your quota more than you want to exceed your quota. I'll do everything to empower you, to train you, to get you the right tools, to cheer you on, to be right there in the trenches with you as we're demoing and all the things. But there have to be some spark, some grit, some will to win just intrinsically in folks for them to be a high performer in tech sales or really anything else, whether it's basketball or anything else. It has to, there has to be a spark. I can fuel the fire with you, but that spark has to be within them. Yeah, I totally agree. In that situation that you talked about earlier on, where you had the the buyer who was repeatedly bringing something up that you're you in the sales situation, you were avoiding or you were arguing back instead of really your team was arguing back instead of understanding the objection. How do you teach a seller to get better at empathy? It feels like one of these mindset things where a lot of times people are either good at it or not good at it. I think that there are ways to teach it, but I'm curious about your ideas about how to teach it. I agree. I think there are ways to teach it as well. 
I think some people naturally have higher levels of emotional intelligence, higher levels of empathy, ability to listen, understand all the things that come with that. But I do believe there are exercises we do daily, literal listening exercises, right? Where again, in a call recording software, will gather around the virtual room, play certain two-minute monologues from the prospect, I'll pause and everyone around the room will share what did they hear and what do they think it meant. And we call these green flags and we'll go through and document all the green flags we think we're hearing from a particular prospect. And we do this daily. We do daily call coaching. Even if it's a 20-minute session, just, hey, this is a really great three-minute monologue. Everyone jump on. Let's listen. Everyone go around the room. What are you hearing? And what do you think it means? So we practice. We literally practice active listening and empathy in the way that what are we understanding? And then the next step is now how would we respond that's relevant to what they just shared? So we do go through these like listening exercises and that's how I train and I coach on this. Yeah, I think those are great ways to practice. The other thing that I'll add is that this is a personal experience for me and I think it probably applies to some other people out there, but it might not be the same for everyone. But I think in, in there are situations where I can get a little bit of stage fright or nervousness about a big sales call or recording a podcast or giving a live presentation to hundreds of people or thousands of people. And I find like the more that I do those, the less I become nervous about doing more of them. And the more I'm able to monitor my emotional state and deal with my emotional state in terms of that, the stage fright. And so if you think about stage fright in this case of a sales call, being able to practice, this is what I'm going to do with this objection and then going it and doing it. And the more I do it, the more practiced I become. I think that the practice and all the ways that you mentioned are contribute to it a lot. But then actually having instances where you can go into a sales situation over and over again because can take the edge off and make you much better at it as well. Absolutely. Preparation. I'll go back to Kobe Bryant here. He's never nervous to take that, the winning shot. And he'll say it and you'll hear him in interviews. He'll say, I'm ne I'll never ask myself to do in a game what I haven't done in practice 10,000 times. And yeah. so I'm not nervous when I have to take the game winner because I've done this a thousand times in practice. So it's preparation, being prepared for the different. And there's a lot that we know typically before we go into a, a first client call through discovery, whatever they shared prior, through SDR, qualification calls. There's typically a lot that a seller knows before they interact for the first time with a potential buyer. And so being as prepared as possible for those calls is super important. For our listeners who are thinking like, I want to increase the empathy on my team. I want to be a more empathetic leader and I want to, to help my team be better listeners on sales calls. What are the things that could go wrong as they try to implement on that in their sales organization? We took one step back before creating the culture. I would say hire for it. Hire for high empathy, emotionally intelligent people. I think a lot of us are observing right now that in the hiring kind of market, at my observation at least, it seems we are evaluating candidate in such a superficial way, it, especially in sales. It's has this candidate sold X to buyer Y in the amount of Z. We're looking at check boxes and ATS filtering to bring us people that we want 
to sell on our team. And I think it's a superficial kind of way of, of building a sales team and hiring. And we're not looking at the, the holistic person. Do yeah. they have high emotional intelligence? You can't filter for that in a hiring tool. Are they coachable? Do they have a positive mindset? So I would advise sales leaders to start there. Hire the folks that are coachable, positive in mindset organically, high emotional intelligence. Even if they necessarily don't have that exact experience you think that they need to sell your product to your buyer, if they come with all of those things, and it's really easy to train and coach and, and foster that environment where we have high empathy, high performing sellers. Do you have any things that you like to do in the interview or any particular questions or anything that you'll use to screen for that? In the way of coachability, which for me, that's always been super important. And this also measures their ability to listen. I, I still will do role plays where I'll have them review a particular role play and then we do it. And then I give them some coaching and some things that I'd like them to maybe try next time. And then we'll break for 10 minutes and come back on so they have a little bit of time to prepare. And then I'll measure, do they put those, do they, first of all, did they hear me? Did they, were they able to translate that into the second role play? And things like that quickly measure coachability and high EQ. Positive mindset, I look at the, the person just holistically on there's ways that they're phrasing any of the answers for the questions I'm asking during interviews will lend to whether they're a half glass full or half glass empty type of or person. Yeah, I think that's great. Totally agree with that. I'll add in an interview question I like around emotional intelligence. Part of the definition of emotional intelligence is being able to understand your own emotions in different situations and the emotions of those around you. So one of the questions I like for that is, can you tell me about a sales situation where you had a prospect when you initially met them you could tell that they didn't trust you. And so what I'm looking for there, it's I was catching the signals. I could read the room. And then this is what I did about it to try to change the situation. And so to me, that's a question that gives people a good opportunity to demonstrate their history of dealing with of being emotionally intelligent in stressful situations. Yeah, Ooh, I love that question. Yeah, and we've all, I don't know what the statistic is today how many buyers trust salespeople? So it's such a good question because for anyone that's self-aware, we've been in a situation where a buyer or a client didn't necessarily trust us right away. Yeah. Moving on a little bit from empathy, staying within the same vein of mindset here, that you call it Mamba mentality. I know what you're talking about. I'm not a Lakers fan, so I don't usually refer to it that way, but I, uh, I, I think it's a good way to capture the drive and, and mentality that you're looking for. Obviously, it's something you look for during the hiring process. If someone ends up in your sales organization and you're like, hey, I thought they were going to be like a nine on this and they're really more like a six. Is that something that you can develop or do you really just have to hire for it? It depends on how open that particular person is to grow and to change and to develop. If they don't have it and they're not open to developing it, that might be a person that's just not gonna be a good fit over, over time. But as a leader, I do feel it's part of my responsibility to drumbeat these messages. We're talking daily about positive mindset. We're talking daily about continuous improvement. What, did, what can we do today that we didn't necessarily do yesterday or know yesterday? So 
as a leader, I think it's important to be consistent with these pillars that are important to developing the team that you want. And so for me, the responsibility is on me to just drumbeat these messages and provide opportunities to continue to do these exercises to grow. And so that's the role I take on is just sprinkling the positive all day to my team. Now, how much individuals absorb is it, it falls in their court if they're going to get on board and develop their mindset. But Again, there has to be some spark within them. We can't do it for them as leaders, but I think it's our job to empower them and believe in them and encourage it. As a leader, a lot of times there are things that you can do to pull it out of them. One, one story that comes to mind for me from my background is I had an individual contributor that I was managing and I was having a conversation with them and they, they told me that they needed more specific direction from me. And I, and I told them, all right, so you understand the direction we're trying to head. And I hear you that you need me to provide more of the individual steps along the way. And I'm going to work on that. I'm going to do a better job of that. And here's some of the things I'm going to do a better job of that. And then they went home that night, reflected on it and came back to me the next day. And they said, Hey, Lucas, I've thought about it. And I'm I am able to take on that responsibility of figuring out how to get from A to B. When I think about who I really am, like I can figure that out. And so I'm going to take that on. And so if you can continue to tell me you need to get to B, I'll take on the responsibility of how to get from A to B. And so it was something that came out of them when they heard reflected back to them what they were saying to me when they heard it from me. I'm not necessarily giving myself credit for it, but I'm just saying that sometimes when people there are things that you can say intentionally or accidentally that will help people to see themselves in a certain light that's not who they want to be and it'll change their mindset. Yeah, you sparked that within him. And what a great example of self-awareness for that particular person to, and clear direction from you. So I think some leaders do fall short in, in even giving the direction that B is where we're going, right? We're at A, we want to get to B. There's some teams that they're not even sure of the direction. So again, I think that falls on us as leaders to make sure that we're clearly communicating the outcomes we want, where we want to go. But there's responsibility for our individual contributors to be accountable to help us all get there. When you first told us about the mindset, the Mamba men mentality being one of your core pillars, you said... I know some people might see this as fluffy or not specific enough. And so I imagine you're saying that because you've had people within your sales organization who thought that it was, who didn't buy in initially. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I have heard fluffy, quote unquote, so fluffy. How do you measure? How do you measure Mamba mentality? What does it even mean to have a positive mindset? But it really is just at the heart and, and not just forget about sales for a second, whether any element, any aspect of our lives, believing that you can accomplish X, Y, Z, it all starts there. Kobe has a really interesting, a really interesting interview on self-doubt and why it's so pointless. And he talks about from a basketball lens, look, we're going to show up to a game and there's two outcomes. We're going to win or we're going to lose. And then the next day, we're going to start the journey all over again, regardless of the outcome from yesterday. And the next game, we're going to win or we're going to lose. So why waste any amount of energy I'm not believing that you're going to win. Why let any doubt creep in that you're going to get the outcome that you want? Because it's just wasted energy. There's still only two outcomes. You're going to win or you're going to lose. You're going to get to wake up and do the journey all over again. And it's 
similar in sales. We're going to win or we're going to lose. And then we're going to have a new opportunity with a different client to do it again. So just doubting that you're going to get the outcome that you want is just wasted energy. It's energy that can be spent in a different area. What happens when you have a team member who says, yeah, Jackie, I understand you feel that way. I just want to know what I need to do. I'm just going to hit my quota. I don't really care about the mindset stuff. When you're faced with that sort of skepticism on your team, how do you how do you think about dealing with that person? Yeah. And I have had a few of those folks. And here's what I tell them. So long as you're exceeding your quota, you can get there however feels right for you. But if you're not exceeding your quota, I need you to buy into this process. So if you don't want to sit and talk about positive mindset, call coaching and all the things that I lean into to drive high performing teams, get the result. And if you and I realize there are a number of different ways folks succeed. There's not a one one size fits all kind of solution in sales or anything. And I've had folks on my team who exceed their quota without focusing in on the pillars that I believe are important. And I'm okay with that. So long as you're getting the result, the revenue results that we need from you as an individual contributor, and you're doing it with integrity, that would be the only thing. There's a level of integrity in how you're getting there. I am absolutely fine with people getting there with a different kind of approach. So long as they're exceeding their revenue numbers, that's great. This is a great conversation today. As we think about empathy, mindset, what are a couple of takeaways that you'd distill out from everything we've talked about today that you would leave our listeners with in terms of the most important things we've talked about in mind? This might be, I don't know, I don't want to say slightly controversial or maybe an unpopular opinion amongst your listeners, if your listeners are, are mostly leaders here. But I think we as sales leaders, so this is specifically for sales leaders, whether you're a CRO, a VP, a director, a manager, if you have anybody in your organization reporting to you, I would encourage self-reflection to make sure that we are being trustworthy, that we're gaining the trust of our teams, that we're leading by example, modeling behavior that we'd like our teams to then turn around and serve to our clients, it really starts with that. And I think there's a, a grand responsibility for leaders in sales and in the world that it really does, in my opinion, start with us. And so if you don't have the team culture or results or level of empathy or that you want, I would say turn that mirror to you first and ensure that's what you're providing for your team. And your team will follow, I promise. So it might be, again, a bit of a controversial statement, maybe not, but that's one thing I would encourage leaders to do is ensure that we are, we are modeling the behavior that we want. I agree. I think a lot of times inside an organization, maybe you're doing annual surveys of the employees to, to measure their engagement and stuff like that. And it's easy to get the results and see negative things on there and be like, why do the employees think that? Or look at your glass door reviews and like, why would anyone believe that? And I think that the thing is, it might not be a hundred percent true, but there's usually a sliver of truth in there. And I think that you're right, that you have to like look inward for why someone believed that, even if it isn't a hundred percent true, because there is a sliver of truth in there. And there is something that you as a leader or your leadership team is doing to create that belief. And so I think that's a, a great bit of wisdom to take away. The other thing I would add is that looking back at some of the things that you've said, it's very important in creating a, a environment of empathy and accountability to have very clear direction up front and the leader lead with vulnerability and to demonstrate the behavior that you're looking for from your team. 
vulnerability and willingness to change and then practicing is that is very easy to underestimate the importance of practicing and thinking that's not a good use of your time, but it almost always is a good use of your time. So those are a couple of my takeaways. Thanks for joining. Jackie, where can people find you online? Yeah, on LinkedIn as well. Absolutely connect with me as well. And thank you so much, Lucas, for inviting me onto your show. Absolutely appreciate and enjoyed this conversation with you as well. If you enjoyed this episode of Building Elite Sales Teams, please leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. You can find more of our content online at yardstick.team slash blog and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.